The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Raising his eyes towards his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who are now weeping, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude and insult you, and denounce your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy on that day. Behold, your reward will be great in heaven, for their ancestors treated the prophets in the same way. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. But woe to you who are filled now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will grieve and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for their ancestors treated the false prophets in this way. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, the last time I preached, it was a Sunday uh, homily, and I said the topic was humility. And um, after Mass, um, I was greeting people, and um, a little boy, about five years old, came up. Um, I was having a little trouble hearing what he was saying. Uh, again, my ego, so humility uh, kicked right in there. But his mom saved me, and she said, he wants to know what uh, being poor in spirit means. Um, I was trying to think, well, when did I ever say that? But um, I answered, I said, well, it's, uh, we need to be humble and realize our dependence on God. That's, that's being poor in spirit. Um, he got that. I went back. I was trying to think, well, where did that come from? And the last hymn we sang was about the Beatitudes. And the first line, blessed are those poor in spirit. And I asked Vicki what the name of it was because I couldn't remember. We are the light of the world. So that was the hymn that we spoke. And so he got out of that. Well, what does being poor in spirit mean? As I thought about our readings today... I wish I could have that moment back and say, yes, it's about understanding our uh, dependence on God all the time with our complete everything, our complete being. Um, but we can't get distracted by the world. That's what I wish I would have added in there because that's what we really see happening uh, these last uh, week and a half of uh, time in Corinthians and another a week and a half or so uh, in Corinthians as we, as we work through the letter. Um, I think it's helpful if we have an idea of what's going on in the letter. Um, and so um, I went back to two resources. One, to get a feel of what was Corinth like back in the day. And I found a rather colorful description. Um, it says about Corinth, what a mess fast and excessively showy, shallow and brassy, slick and sassy, sensual and busy, a lot like Las Vegas or Hollywood, the Vanity Fair of ancient Greece, 
a sailor's favorite port, a prodigal's paradise, a policeman's nightmare, and a preacher's graveyard. So Paul was working in a city that was probably not the first choice to put a church. It was a tough place to be. Um, what came to mind was a candle in a windy city. Pretty tough. But again, we're called to be the light to the world. Um, I went back to a book that I got in, uh, in formation for the diaconate about just um, summarizing what Paul's first letter to the Corinthians was. And the description was, was this. The Corinthian community was Paul's problem child. The believers in Corinth managed to misunderstand just about everything Paul said and did to their own detriment and to Paul's utter astonishment. By the time Paul wrote the letter we call 1 Corinthians, the church, from the apostles' perspective, was in utter chaos. A string of issues were present, such as sexual morality, civil lawsuits, marriage, idle meat consumption, hairstyles, proper behavior in community worship, and the resurrection of the dead. These issues erupted because Paul's church was made up of a very mixed group with differing opinions and practices, which put considerable strain on their common life. The letter seems like a laundry list of problems. Paul's goal became to convince the Corinthians to embody the cross crucified on a daily basis, the real life consequences of the gospel lived out every day. That's really the connection back to the Beatitudes that we have in our gospel reading. Living the cross crucified on a daily basis so that all the world can see. When we think about our crosses, we usually think about these heavy things that we try to deal with, but the reality is the morality and what we believe as Catholics lived out on a daily basis in a windy city is tough. And that's what we're called to do. And that's why we spend so much time in Corinthians. Uh, the only other book we'll spend from Paul's writings is Romans, and that, that happens uh, in, you know, next year. Um, so the Beatitudes, I, I know uh, we spend a lot of time trying to think about, okay, what do those mean? And uh, they're worthwhile to ponder and uh, really delve into. Um, but I wanted to give some advice on three other things that have helped me. Um, so traveling in the Middle East, um, I found that there were words that are not in the ancient languages, like Hebrew and Arabic, because they're primarily connected with God. So these three words that I found that were really interesting, that really aren't applicable in those ancient languages and cultures. So the three words were, the first is fair, the second is retirement, and the third is coincidence. There's really no concept of fairness in the ancient languages. 
Because the reality is fairness doesn't really exist. You know, we can try to make things fair, but really there's justice and mercy. There's the real right and wrong. Really the things that God wants to have happen. That's, that's what's really out there. So we start to think about fairness and if we think about the ancient languages, fair doesn't really come into play. What does God want to have happen? With retirement, we think about our purpose in life and the reality is God always has something for us to do. The idea of retirement doesn't really exist. Maybe we quit doing what we wanted to do, but if we're always looking for what God is calling us, he always is asking. We just have to ask him, what, what do you want me to do next, today? There's no concept of retirement in the ancient languages because God always has something for us to do. And coincidence, God may not have caused exactly what just the situation or circumstances you're in. He, maybe he didn't cause it, but he's always right there in it. He's always there to love you and help you move through it. So there are no coincidences. If we start living like we depend on God and we don't have distractions from the Corinth that we live in, we'll start living more like what the Beatitudes are asking. It's our dependence on God. And it goes back to the little five-year-old. It's about the light in the world, the candle in a windy city. We can't get distracted by everything around us. And we need to stay focused on how much we depend and need God at every moment. Let's stand and offer our petitions. <clears throat>